shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast, and they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the bitter end. This is Sequel Cast, and your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at films in a franchise one movie at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi, and with me is... Of course, as always, me, William Thrasher. That's right. And, uh, you know, we are talking about RoboCop, and longtime listeners of the sequel cast might wonder, well, Matt, you already did a sequel cast, you already did a RoboCop with Sabrina on the old show, and it's like, well, yeah, but I never got to do it with Will, he's always wanted to do RoboCop, and... It, think of it sort of like as a, as a what-if episode. In whatever episode you consider the what-if episode to be, you're right. Um, <laughs> that that message was for all five listeners that listen to our old show, Sequel Cast. But yeah, Sequel Cast 2 is a new show we just launched in March 2017. And we're looking at RoboCop. Uh, this time around, we're doing RoboCop 2, directed by Irvin Kirshner, who's best known for directing Empire Strikes Back. And, and uh, fact- has a script... Oh, go on. And in fact, this was the last thing he directed. Uh, yeah, surprisingly. You know, he had, a, he had a long life, had some health complications towards the end, as we all tend to do. And um, I'm looking at some things here. But yeah, uh, original RoboCop came out in 87. The sequel, RoboCop 2, came out three years later, which, frankly, is pretty, um, pretty quick, all things considered. For the time, definitely. Yeah, and... The budget is over twice as much as the original. Uh, screenplay by Frank Miller and Waylon Green, based on a story by Frank Miller. Of course, based on characters by Edward Newmeyer and Michael Miner, the guys that did the original script. Um, starring Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, Daniel O'Herlihy. Those are people from the original. And then you got like Tom Noonan as the bad guy here. Belinda Bauer is another bad guy. And uh, Gabriel Damon. Music by Leonard Rosenman. Uh, it's not Basil Paleodora. Cinematography by Mark Irwin. And uh, I'm looking at this poster that's on Wikipedia, and the international posters are a bit more interesting, but this one just has him bursting out of a wall saying he's back to protect the innocent in large block type. It's a not very good poster. Not to protect and serve, uh, but to protect the innocent. Yeah, it's a a weak poster, and I regrettably, I think I was underwhelmed by this movie. Were you? Yeah. Um, I'm in fact... Oh, go you, on. You, me- you mentioned it had almost twice the budget of the first film. It looks like it had half the budget of the first film. I don't know where any of that money went. Maybe straight I, up Frank Miller's nose. I'm not sure. <laughs> the movie looks slicker than the original, and certainly the stop motion you get on. And yes, there's a character called RoboCop 2, which is um, unfortunate. There's but a titular the, line, yeah. Yeah, several. But the the stop motion there is is more detailed and more than what we got in the original film. Phil Tippett, uh, you know, his team worked again for the special effects for RoboCop 2. And the effects are not this movie's problem. Um, There's other problems, as we'll (laughs) get into, but it should be noted the original film came out in 87. This one came out in 90. Uh, Between the release of RoboCop and RoboCop 2, 
we had a animated series simply called RoboCop the Animated Series came out for one season in 88. That's right. Yeah, a rated R hardcore violent movie had a children's cartoon because, hey, you know, Transformers were popular and everything had a Saturday morning cartoon back then. Uh, There's also a second animated series, but I believe that one came after RoboCop 3. Yes, the the first RoboCop animated series, I believe I saw its entire run. It was syndicated as part of the uh, Marvel Action Hour. Really? Yeah, I, I, I've never seen this one before. I've only seen the second series. I understand it's a bit darker. And there's even an episode, uh, the last episode of, of season one, the only one, you know, or season one, whatever, like the only season that came out actually has Boddicker and has some stuff with the first movie. And Boddicker comes back. Well, the, I, I haven't seen it in a while, but th- that first RoboCop animated series, you can tell they were trying. There was an episode about there was an episode about drug addiction that didn't bring up any drugs, but like act- I felt actually worked. Yeah, and it, it should be noted, you know, this original RoboCop series, um, unless you catch it on YouTube or, or something, that, or get a bootleg guy convention, it's tough to track down. It got a three episodes. It got a few episodes on uh, videotape in the United States. In the UK only, Jetix Films UK released a, uh, a DVD box set, but you can't. Uh-huh. It's Region Two. You can't get that in the United States. Um, so I think there's certainly a, a thirst for that sort of a thing. It was animated by Acom productions who did all sorts of series over the years ranging from arthur to earthworm jim to gi joe extreme uh you name it so um do you recall the animation being okay in the series or was it i i recall it being pretty standard for what you'd see on the time kind of leaning more in the direction of what you might see on the real ghostbusters which was a little bit more detailed and a little bit more fluid than most other animated series, although that was in part depending on what studio was actually doing the animating. A lot of that stuff got farmed out to third parties. And what's interesting is with a lot of 80s series, you know, the theme song sequence was animated by a better animation house than the people that do the main show. (laughs) Yeah, the 80s was riddled with shows that couldn't live up to their own intros. (laughs) Including Ninja Turtles, but that's, yeah... Um... You were going to say something else about the cartoon series, and we'll move on to RoboCop 2. Oh, yeah, just just the the one that, that stood out, that, that always sticks in my head, is there's this episode called, like, Super Spore, where this, like, plant monster that... I, I guess OCP is working on gets released, and it's and it's just the blob with RoboCop inserted, and there's something kind of fun about that. So, uh, it, it might not surprise you that several people worked on the script for RoboCop 2, and I've, I've done some research on this, and um, from what I could tell, uh, an original draft for RoboCop 2 was done, was done by Edward Neumeyer, who wrote the original. It was called RoboCop 2 Corporate Wars, and elements mm. of this were used on the pilot for the, li- for the first live-action RoboCop series. And I watched some of this episode. I haven't read that script but uh, part of it involves OCP getting a computer AI to run the company and things go amok. Mm. Um, so, you know, as a concept, that's that's fine. The, the producers with RoboCop 2 decided not to go with it. So instead, um, Frank Miller wrote a screenplay, and he has story and screenplay credit. And I had the, uh, the fortune of, uh, it was my birthday recently. Happy birthday to me. And at work, 
I got a, a gift card. I used it to get a, um, a digital version of a graphic novel called The Complete Frank Miller Robocop, which was actually graphic novel adaptations of Robocop 2 and Robocop 3 based on Frank Miller's original scripts for those movies. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, I understand it's pretty close to the script and the artwork. Uh, I think in Robocop 3 is actually better. And frankly, that's a more interesting comic. But as far as Robocop 2 is concerned, um, do you want me to give you the high points? And then I just want you to say if you think it's more interesting than what we got in RoboCop 2. Uh, yes, I would like to hear this. Okay. So the there is no uh, drug called Nuke. Kane is not a bad guy. There's no little uh, there's no teenage or little boy drug dealer. <laughs> the bad guy is a Vietnam vet who got hooked on heroin and all sorts of nasty drugs, and he's sort of like pure adrenaline, steroided, hulked out kind of an Arnold Schwarzenegger type. And he's the one they put in the RoboCop 2 suit. Um, the last half is nothing but pure action. Uh, the uh, Frank Miller's screenplay was famously called Unfilmable, mm. uh, which CG now you could do it. But at the time, it's just ridiculous. Think of like super violent uh, sci-fi robot anime stuff with people smashing through buildings and you know stuff you could not do easily uh, when this was movie came out in 1990. Right. Um, yes. And, and however, some scenes in the film are identical to what's in the comic. You know, the, the scene between Robocop and his wife going by the station. He's like, I don't know you. Um, the the character that's a OCP scientist that's kind of a bitch is a, a bigger. It's like Jack or it's Fax or something. Dr. Um, Fax. Yes. Dr. Fax. Yeah. Is a bigger character in the um, in the original script. And in fact, at one point in the climax of the script, um the, the bad guy whose, you know, brain is put inside the suit is incapacitated, and she puts herself inside the RoboCop 2 suit and fights RoboCop. Um, there's a, a subplot of a Morton Downey Jr. kind of like a TV show character I, instead of having the stuff with the Ooh. mayor that's in the film. And there there's and, and the, uh, the satire with the commercials is more adult. You have like, you know, have sex with an android for totally safe sex. You know, it's that sort of stuff. And Anne Lewis um, had a big subplot about there's like a rebel group fighting against OCP that that they feel like they're being displaced with OCP's plan to make, uh, you know, New Detroit into OCP City or whatever they call it. And um, and she is in a lot of action scenes helping this kind of grungy punk uh, punk rock group of scrappy people fighting back. Now, I can only assume that as is traditional with most of Frank Miller's work, all of the female characters also work part time at a strip club. <laughs> um so the the way the artwork is done the artwork the, the way you're uh, ex laughing. except for the yeah 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 so i mean the way the artist did it um frank miller did some of the the covers i think for the comics but not the artwork in the comic book itself but nearly every shot of the female characters have their ass like in in the foreground or their cleavage exposing <laughs> uh -oh. they knew what they were doing because it was frank miller right it um yeah, so, I mean, yeah, all the females appear as, like, sex or dress uh, in a sex-positive fashion. I don't know how you want to say that. I, I don't want to say, I don't want to call anything misogynist or not. That's not for me to decide. But um, the, uh, the the female villain in particular is, like, a hard-nosed lady. But Anne Lewis, too, like, has a lot more to her storyline. So based on that loose plot I described, does that sound more interesting than what we got in RoboCop 2, the movie? 
Uh, if if only for giving RoboCop's partner more to do and uh, seeming like it has a stronger through line for the candidate who becomes RoboCop 2, that does sound more interesting. Now, I don't know if it would have been executed any it's better actually than what a we weak... got, but... The... Right, yeah, and it's actually a weaker through line. There's almost no characterization really? given to this Vietnam vet. I, yeah, the guy's called Khan, as in King Khan. And, um, yeah, he gets very little characterization. It's just like he's he's just all all hatred and rage and steroids and uh, but but very little dialogue. Wow. So I, 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 I would based on the script and, and this comic book adaptation of Robocop 2, I think the original script by Frank Miller uh, based on the comic is a different kind of bad in the movie Robocop 2. Um, okay. <laughs> With that in mind, let's let's uh, talk about. You said you tried to watch this a long time ago, Thrasher, and then like it just like really left a bad taste in your mouth. Is that right? Well, I I have never I had never seen this movie uh, all the way through. I only caught like bits and pieces on cable, and I was never in a position to just sit down and watch it. But the the parts I saw, and we can talk more specifically about those parts later because most of them come in the second half of the film. Right. I just, I just, I never particularly felt all that interested in seeing any more of it, despite the fact that I I really do love the first RoboCop and overall it's, it's a character and a world that I I enjoy watching. This movie is frustrating because the first film nailed it so hard. Oh yeah. That, and this is, mm, RoboCop 2 is like no Highlander 2. But it, it's a similar fall from grace, if not quite a, as far. Like, it's it's just disappointing that this is the RoboCop film that Peter Weller um, decided to reprise his role for the sequel. And for the record, Peter Weller didn't want to do RoboCop again. It was a pain in the ass getting in and out of the suit. You're sweating oh, yeah. all the time. And uh, they, they just gave him so much money, he'd be stupid to refuse it. And... He- um, he has less to work with here, but he has he has a few moments. Well, you know what's funny is that you can tell he is doing this primarily for the paycheck, and yet oh, yeah? <laughs> that only makes his performance more mechanical and more subdued as OCP starts giving him more directives. So strangely enough, him doing it for a paycheck helps his performance in this movie. I think this is a movie that gets better as it goes on. Um with that in mind, sort of like the, the short version of this uh, overly complicated plot is in um, in Detroit, there is... The city where golden uh, chariots are molded out of dreams. Yes, you know, OCP, the corporation from the first film, they want to turn Detroit into Delta City, which is going to be a corporation-owned um, city. I, I wish they would have done more at that stuff, actually. I guess we'll talk about that later in the film. But basically, everyone, the, the big drug du jour is Nuke, which is in this uh, a red thing in a vial that you inject into your veins that is, is real hip. All the cool kids do it. Um, so well, you know, there's, if I can yeah. say something to, to praise this movie for, I think they did a really good job with the design of Nuke. It's not like a gener- generic powder. It's not a generic drug. Like... Uh, it's this this bright red liquid 
it's almost like neon red that you inject into yourself using those same uh, little ampules that I think anti-venom injections used to come in. Mm. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, that, yeah. That right. I packaging works so well. Like you can tell that it's a drug that's truly marketed to people. Although if I can say something bad about nuke, they do a piss poor job explaining why anyone takes it. Um, I don't see anyone getting high on it. I don't see anyone getting jazzed or jacked up on it. They just inject themselves with it when the script requires them to. It doesn't really have any effect. Right. And RoboCop uh, 2, you know, being part of a series that has framing devices with the news stuff. Couldn't you have explained Nuke like as a news report? Right. Yeah. All, all you get is the as a Nuke addict assassinating the United States Surgeon General who's giving a speech, uh, uh, speaking out against the nuke trade. But yeah, again, he doesn't say what it does, just that it's poisoning the inner city. Yeah, and right off the bat in this movie, you can tell... I guess I should finish my high-level description. So you have this plot going on. You uh, you have some you have some bad guys. There's, there's Kane, who's sort of like a, a head drug dealer, gangster, bad guy. Uh, you have Hob, played by Gabriel Damon... That's this a, a little kid that's also in the drug trade, um, buying and selling. And uh, you have uh, Willard Pugh plays Mayor Kuzak, who's involved in all this. You have you have Duffy, who is a it's played by Stephen Lee, who is a cop. That's a dirty cop. And um, it, besides the, all all of these bad guys and stuff going on in RoboCop and Ann Lewis in the first film, it, Daniel O'Hurlihy is is back as the old man, and uh, he has his sort of OCP stuff going on where they want to make a new version of RoboCop called RoboCop 2 that will do what RoboCop couldn't, that they can sort of mass produce. And uh, all of this makes for a very complicated, sloppy plot. And and you actually you actually forgot a plot which this movie also forgets. Which oh the, shit! Which yeah. is that? Yeah, Robo, RoboCop facts? Oh. keeps like kind of connecting to his old old life. It turns out his his wife and kid aren't dead, and when he's on patrol, he'll sometimes drive by their house. And then there's apparently there's a subplot where his wife is suing the police department in OCP because you know she feels like she's being stalked. Except we then later see her meet RoboCop and they interact and it doesn't seem like she thinks she's being stalked at all. And then she just vanishes from the film. And that would be so interesting to see that played out, especially like the both the lawsuit angle and this woman's relationship with with her husband, who is legally dead, but still up and walking. Yeah, Judge Wapner meets RoboCop. I mean, also you have, um, we forgot the subplot that we mentioned earlier when I talked about the comic book uh, of, of Dr. Fax, who is, you know, reprogramming RoboCop to um, be more politically correct and have more, uh, what do you, more directives, right? Well, yeah, like more, more like it, sort of it, more personable, more of a role model, and I, I feel like that that whole scene reeks of reeks of anger on behalf of the writer. I feel like Frank Miller had to sit through a workshop where suggestion where suggestions like that were made, and he just poured all of his frustration into that scene. Yeah, all, all that stuff is very similar from the the script uh, as presented in the RoboCop two comic, uh, right? It is. Yes. And, and if, yet, you're, if you're looking for the comic I'm talking about, um, the graphic novel is just called Frank Miller's RoboCop. But if you get the one that's called RoboCop, the complete Frank Miller RoboCop, it has all the issues based on Frank Miller's scripts for RoboCop 2 and RoboCop 3. 
do a double bill of Frank Miller's RoboCop and Yodorowsky's Dune and uh, what the hell, Brewster's Millions. It's like Triple 400 feature. pages, so a lot of RoboCop. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, there's way go- too much going on in this movie, and it's frustrating. Yeah. Because they have some good ideas. There's potential there. But just because you... Uh, I'm going to make a food metaphor, as I like to do. Just because you have a pizza and you put 20 toppings on it doesn't make it 20 times the pizza. Hmm. Or maybe Although do you like is, a lot of toppings, Thrasher? I, I generally, like, it's funny. Generally, I like two toppings or all the toppings. I love I love myself a good mm. garbage pizza, as uh, we, we call it on the uh, the East Coast, uh, I presume, because I heard it called that once. Uh, but I, I this, uh, this movie fails at being great trash. If this movie could just be great trash, I think I would love it. Do you feel like it's pulling its punches because now the studio realizes they have a franchise? The first RoboCop was a runaway success. I, I and do think like, we, we want to make we want to make a lot of these. Yeah, yeah. So they, I, you know, they're sort of even though it's still rated R. Oh yeah, I do think punches are being pulled, but like the the the, the violence is 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 less bloody and less brutal. Uh, like there's there's a lot of mostly dry uh, or barely moist gunshots uh, in this film. (laughs) Uh, The satire is just not there. When RoboCop gets all those new directives, they don't, that, that I think is a very amusing idea A robot, uh, a RoboCop that wants to say please and thank you and give advice to the youth and, and address environmental issues, but they don't go anywhere uh, with it. They don't, they don't use that to, to do any kind of interesting real satire. I mean, that, that would be so great if you could take that and you could make the moral of the movie RoboCop is not for kids. That would be great, but they never really do that. Whenever like, they just make RoboCop look like a jackass, it, it it weakens the RoboCop character to have him say, "Swearing is not nice. You are only hurting yourself." Drink like, your he, milk. Yeah, I mean that's what this movie should have been called: RoboCop Two, barely moist. That's. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those things. It's um, yeah. It, it, there's ideas for like six movies in here, and the the, the Frank Miller script was ambitious, overly ambitious. But also, what like survived in here, you can tell a lot of fingers were in the pie in this movie, and it's not to its um, favor. But I, I think one idea at the beginning that's pretty interesting is you know oh there's a we're gonna do a drug raid get rid of nuke whatever at the beginning robocop is doing his mission and he he sees um the kid hob right and because of his directives he has to uphold the law he can't shoot a child and he curses and says like you know fuck you or like you can't kill a kid fucker or something along those lines and he shoots RoboCop, and I think yeah. that's a really interesting dilemma, an interesting moment. Yeah, and it does, and it does lead to some, it does lead to some schisms within RoboCop because the 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 shock to the head when he gets shot by that kid, as he starts he starts remembering his own kid. And I feel right. I feel like that's a thread that could have developed. What if he got? What if he? lost the ability to tell the difference between his own son and this kid or, or you know what if what if what if other sure. people start really taking advantage of his directives now that I they mean know how the hell how the hell do you talk about this movie why don't we just like focus on the different <laughs> threads separately instead okay. of trying to do it chronologically because this we kind of you know there's there's a lot to chew on with this movie we both don't appear to like very much oh we'd um, be all over the place ja, ja. okay so 
I don't know why I did that terrible German there. Um, <laughs> I was doing Austrian. Ah, there you go. So, okay, let, let's go in this thread right with the the <laughs> wife and stuff, right? Okay. Because that's pretty potentially interesting. He has flashbacks to the kid. You, you mentioned there's like the the wife wants to file a lawsuit against the police department because RoboCop is driving around like a jilted ex-lover kind of going, hmm, that's my ex. Or I mean, they didn't get divorced, but you know what I mean. Like, I used to sleep with her. It's And, and the music is really tragic. It, it it gives you a real sense of pathos to the character. It addresses his humanity. It, it does. And, and he's, he's RoboCop. He's not Robo-Robo, right? He's part human in there, <laughs> yeah. even if it's just the forehead and the eyeballs. But he is all cop. He's all cop or it comes, right. And because of that, it's um, the, the scene where his ex-wife confronts him is so sad. It is a really moving scene. I think it's perhaps one of the more interesting. It might be my favorite scene in the movie, even though they do nothing with it. It's a scene that should be in a better movie. It outclasses exactly. the rest of the film. That's right. Why don't you describe it? Well, yeah, where, where, you know, they, they've shut, you know, RoboCop is given like a, a video recorded testimony stating that he's, you know, that he's just RoboCop. He's not Alex Murphy. Uh, they shut down the RoboCop cage for the day. Everybody leaves and RoboCop's in his charger and then his wife just walks up to the cage. So I guess there's no security on RoboCop and RoboCop gets up and walks to her and they kind of have this, this stilted back and forth conversation because RoboCop, you know, his his directives, he's not supposed to acknowledge that she was his wife. But you can tell he still has memories of her. He still has some feeling mm. from her. And right. to an extent, he might even think that he's protecting her by by throwing up these barriers. And there's this wonderful thing about, you know, wanting to touch his face. And, you know, he's saying they gave me this face to honor Alex Murphy. And it's it's. It's it's this this divide between the characters that neither one can can cross and it and it really is sad. You really you really do feel for her. And then she kind of comes no she you know vanishes from the rest of the movie. Uh, I I know out of and, and there's no deleted scenes uh, on the DVD. Unfortunately, it's a very bare bones release. We are getting a special edition release of both RoboCop two and three from Shout Factory. Ooh. I'm cool. trying to get a hand on some review copies. We'll see how that goes. Um, fingers crossed. But, you know, there, there's a famous deleted scene they talked about in um, Starlog uh, for RoboCop 2 where uh, Alex Murphy or RoboCop goes to the grave, the grave site of Alex Murphy. And there's thunder oh, wow. and lightning in the background. And it's this real sort of gothic scene. It's sort of playing up the Frankenstein monster aspects of RoboCop. And there is apparently a few more sort of serious scenes that are cut from the final movie. And um, Peter Weller was upset that I think even at the time or maybe after the fact in the press, he said he was upset that stuff wasn't in the movie and it cheapened the film, uh, not having that stuff in there. So, again, it shows a lot of finger, a lot of hands were at work on this picture. So there, there's that stuff with the wife that they don't do a whole lot with. I guess then you've got uh, then you've got the whole police strike and the bankruptcy. How of course I for, we forgot that earlier. All the other stuff going on in the movie, the police strike, which is a it's not needed as a detail, but it, it's interesting in that the police have their own relationship with OCP and all this stuff. 
Yeah, because uh, it's not that OCP owns the police department per se, it's that OCP has been contracted to manage the police department, and so the police are on strike for, for better better terms, better pensions, because I think their pension is under threat, uh, and it's shutting down the... And it, this is one of those things in the movie that's not that well executed, because whenever we see the front of the police, of the police offices bunch of police uh, like on, uh, on strike and yet whenever we see the inside of the police office it's packed with police and the business of the police seems to be going on uninterrupted by the strike even though the strike is supposedly crippling the city and allowing crime to run rampant and then it's only further complicated when later on in the movie because the, the whole deal is um uh, related to all, to all this is that uh, the city hasn't been paying its fees to OCP for managing the police department, and in the contract, uh, if the, if the city defaults on payments to OCP, OCP can can uh, can seize city assets, namely the city uh, the city of Detroit itself. Uh, and later on, we find out that OCP apparently started the police strike. I guess they triggered it by by withholding the pensions. It, it's 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 kind of unclear exactly what their machinations were, but apparently OCP pulled strings to make the strike happen. Although, Maybe they pulled strings to make the strike happen so the public would be more sympathetic to the cause of hey, let's develop more robot cops that will be under the control of OCP, where they can you know the cop the the robot. Uh, cop two or whatever they call them, right? Can do whatever yeah. they want and can maintain the peace. And OCP is the good maybe. guys, the little the the cops are the bad guys. But I mean, the film, you're right, doesn't go into much detail with that. It's nice they have the same actor, Robert Dequee, again as Sergeant Reed. But it's sort of a blink and you miss it role in this film. Yeah. It's 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 a, uh, it's a nice it's a nice touch, but it it doesn't go as far as it could. Speaking of cops, you know, other than like the opening mission, they don't do shit with Ann Lewis in this movie. Yeah, other other than when RoboCop starts doing the cheesy directive, she keeps calling him on it, and you know, your head's not in the game, Murphy. She comes off as a nag when she was more you know sort of matronly or even an equal in the first movie, and it's um. Yeah, she, yeah, she's not as spunky. Yeah, she she begins the film when they're doing the drug raids. She, she's you know pretty mm-hmm. badass in her own right, but yeah, she does get sidelined uh, by the second half of the film, which is unfortunate. One of my favorite things in the first movie was her relationship with RoboCop. Um, what do you think of the way they handle... Um, I mean, so there's a part of the problem in this movie is like the problem you have in the Joel Schumacher film, Batman and Robin, too many bad guys. <sighs> yeah, they, well, and, and even then the bad guys aren't all that distinct. I mean, everyone is, in all honesty, most of the antagonists are just glorified mooks with gimmicks. Uh, you know, Kane, mm, uh-huh. K- you know, Kane's supposed to be this big, ruthless drug kingpin slash cult leader, but he's he's just the creepiest of of the people involved. There's nothing really all that threatening or evil about him. And then you've got the yeah, kid. I, I well, think the actor is... that the actor that plays Kane, Tom Noonan, is can be quite good. In fact, he it, he's one of his more memorable roles 
is as the Ripper in Last Action Hero. Well, he's doing the best he he he's doing the best he can with what he was given, but but again, he's just a guy with a, a guy with a gimmick. So like the kid, his gimmick is he's a kid. The other guy, his gimmick is he's obsessed with Elvis for some reason and may have Elvis's corpse in a private collection, which is a weird tangent this movie goes on. Yeah, um, you know, other bad guys you have you have uh, Dr. Fax who she uh, is better defined in the original Frank Miller script is sort of really the main villain, if I'm being honest. And and here she's kind of an afterthought. Um, what do you think about her? Like played by Belinda Bauer. I, I wanted I wanted to, to like her more. I mean, I think I think their intention is that she's supposed to be this this ambitious cutthroat woman who wants to climb to the top of the corporate ladder by going through the science division. And she's going to do that by using her her advanced psychology degree to take over the Robocop project and make it work for her. Which is is great, except that she she doesn't she doesn't seem like all that competent a scientist or psychologist. Um, you know she she be, she opens you know when she's introduced she has she has the right idea. Uh, after we see all the failed RoboCop twos that all kill themselves and self destruct, Murphy hasn't done that because Murphy lives by a code and has this sort of he has this sense of justice and honor you know quote unquote things to live for that keep him from doing that, and so she just needs to find a profile of somebody with that same, you know, same reasons to live, they can turn into the next RoboCop and then immediately goes to, well, let's just recruit a psychopath who's addicted to drugs because we can use the drugs to control him. That is such a huge leap. I wish she either started from that position or I guess this is what I want. I wish OCP was in some way behind the nuke. I wish Nuke mm, was yeah. something that OCP developed, possibly as a f- for the pharmaceutical industry, but it wasn't good medicine and it got out of hand and turned into the street drug. And she knew that secret and was looking in ways to turn their pure Nuke into a way to control a new RoboCop. But it just, it's, it's a way I'd like those two threads to dovetail together. That's what I think this needs. Nuke I, deserves I, I, an origin story and it should be connected to OCP. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a huge difference between this sequel and the original. Is the original had did such a good job of setting up OCP as sort of uh, you know being the mastermind behind a lot of machinations of the plot. To here, OCP is really an afterthought until the end of the film, where you get the old man as played by Daniel or Hurley he is back in there, and, and uh, they do some satire there, but it's a, sort of too little, too late because. There's the RoboCop 2 project, which looks, um, God, it, it looks kind of like a medieval knight, but then it has a TV for its belly. Kind of does, yeah. Yeah. It, it's an okay design. It's not as cool as RoboCop. Um, and that's a uh, big I really problem. don't like that it's, it, it's a big problem. I don't like that it's called RoboCop 2. Well, I feel like that that would have been better as satire. They, they could have made that work as, as satire within the film, but they didn't. What if the uh, first, uh, you know, the the prototype that kills itself is called RoboCop Two, and then the next one is called RoboCop Three? <laughs> so in RoboCop Two, RoboCop fights RoboCop Three. That would, I don't know. It's yeah. Um, the design is 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 kind of missed. I, I think that the idea that Kane gets shut up really bad, and then Fax puts Kane's brain and eyeballs, which is sort of like in a jar, uh, <laughs> inside 
like of the this robot and you get a, a very early sort of cg human head oh um, that human head is terrible it doesn't even look like kane <laughs> no but i think at, at the time that was really ahead of its time for special effects maybe that's where a lot of the budget went you didn't see them try to do a human form with cg like yes you had in uh, uh the early um 80s with star trek 2 wrath of khan you had cg for the uh the genesis device for a planet right Right. You had um, the, these these primitive polynomial shapes in Tron uh, for for like a CG environment, but the human face is much more nuanced. As humans, um, biologically, we know what other humans look like. Even in movies as recent, well, it's, as, it's yeah, um, there are uncanny Star Wars. But yeah. this is, but this is just bad. This is just I guess I guess this is what really bugs me about this and a lot of the other special effects. So this movie came out this movie came out in uh nineteen. Can you keep talking for a second? I gotta check on my dog. In nineteen eighty eight Oh, no problem. Uh should should I should I pause here? Are you gonna edit around this or should I keep going? Da 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 da. But I'd buy that for a dollar. Ba 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 do ba do boo do boo boo do ba boo do boo boo. Ha ba 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 do do. Ha ba 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 di ba di ba do. A slibber slibber di slabber di slibber di shabber di shoo. A ba di ba do ba do. How are we looking? Sorry about that. Where you leave off? Oh uh, yeah. Well, we'll probably want to edit around that. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah. So this this is something that really bothers me about the CGI in this movie, the special effects in this movie overall. So this movie came out in 1990. In 1988, Willow came out, which had, ah yeah right. Like this movie is this movie is so behind the times in terms of special effects. It's implementations of CGI and, 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 and they've, they've had two years to figure stuff out since Willow, despite its flaws, revolutionized special effects, particularly with the introduction of morphing. Mm. There's no reason why it should look as lackluster as it does. Yeah. I, I don't think it helps that, you know, this was from Orion films, that was having financial problems at the time because they went, um, you know, bankrupt in the uh, the early 90s. And only recently MGM has revived um, Orion as a label on, you know, sort of like direct to video kind of smaller pictures like pocket listing or outlaws and angels. But, you know, for a while, Orion was known for solid uh, in my mind, mainly science fiction films, but they also did stuff like Amadeus and Dances with Wolves. So maybe they just didn't have the money they needed to, to pull off that look. Maybe not. Although the one special effect I did really like uh, is when Robocop gets uh, chopped up by the drug dealers. Uh, I really like that, uh, that Robocop torso animatronic that they have. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a really good it does a really good job of reproducing Peter Weller's face in the RoboCop makeup, and his performance has been so mechanical it only makes this animatronic look more real as it flails around. 
And it's a painful scene, but not, you know, it's not as moving as the scene of Alex Murphy getting shot up in the original. Well, I think part of the problem is is it lingers because when they win, you know, he he tries to do the drug bust on the nu- the site where they manufacture the nuke, which is a lot like the place where he got shot up as Murphy in the first film to begin with. That's um, right. And they may even imply it's the same place, just the way he sort of like looks at it almost wistfully. You know, they they get Robocop into his mercy and they start getting out these heavy power tools and construction equipment and and chopping them up. But we see just about all of this from Robocop's perspective, which I think is a great idea, but they linger on it too long. Uh, the scene the scene gets boring uh, as it progresses. Mm. So so what do you think of sort of the uh, the climax of this film? Where OCP is is making a big speech about their Delta City ambitions, you get some corporate satire in there, you know, capped off with a, a robot a robot uh, fight off between RoboCop and RoboCop Two. That the overall the overall final confrontation between RoboCop and RoboCop Two that happens that begins at the corporate presentation and just spirals out of control from there. That's my favorite part of the movie. Uh, it's they they pull out all of the stops in this fight. As and, and crazy as that is, imagine that. right, and imagine you know that going on for um, over thirty minutes with <laughs> more explosions and the craziness of the original Frank Miller one. I mean, but yeah, they they really have him climbing up buildings, falling off the edge. Um, I, I even like some of the speech that the old man gives about. You know, the city is going to be run by private enterprise and there'll be no problems. It feels like some of the better stuff from the first film. Like, maybe that's where the movie should have began. Not not RoboCop and RoboCop 2 fighting each other, but OCP talking about remaking Delta City. And um, that this is a thread we'll see a lot more of in RoboCop 3 when we talk yeah. about next week. But uh, I love especially when RoboCop uh, and RoboCop 2 start fighting and the old man screams, behave yourselves. <laughs> it feels improvised it's a very silly moment but it, it works because people are supposed to see it, it, it's sort of a callback to the scene from the first film with Ed 209 right how awesome Robocop 2 is mm, yeah but I oh gosh that, that it's 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 great I I particularly love that whole bit in the in the elevator where, where Robocop you turn out outthinks Robocop 2 by tricking him into the elevator uh, severing the cable and riding the cable up as the elevator itself goes down with Robocop 2 trapped in it mm-hmm. they just it, they it both really give out, I mean really good effects yeah they dish and receive a lot of punishment I love that I love that RoboCop takes damage that is consistent throughout the fight. Yep. Um, I think also sort of in, in the, the end of the film where it looks like they're going to arrest the old man and the old man is talking to um, oh, Dr. Fax. Donald. Well, he talks to oh. Dr. Fax. He talks to Donald Johnson. who's played uh, by Felton Perry, the, the bespectacled assistant who was in the original film as well. Ah, uh, yes. It, it and they decide to pin it on facts. I mean, the dialogue there is so sharp. Uh, you wish there would have been more of that in the picture. Because that they pin it on her is brilliant. It's pretty subtle, the way they do it. I and love how quickly things... they sell her out. 
Yeah, they keep things moving. And, like, right after they talk about selling her out, like, he, the old man hugs her and seems real, you know, paternal and being like, oh, no, no, it's not your fault. We know this, honey. And then, you know, <laughs> as they get along, you see they get away. And I, I that's one of the good moments Lewis gets is at the very end of the film. She's like, damn it, the old man got away again. And then you get a very uh, awful line of dialogue. Not quite as bad as what we'll see in RoboCop 3, in my opinion. Where it's like, we must be patient because we're only human. And and just to rub salt in the wound of that bad closing line, RoboCop is, is using a... He's ratcheting the side of his mask, which he doesn't have a lug nut there, so I don't know how, what he's tightening <laughs> or loosening. They do and dub he, in the sound effect, though, don't they? It's yeah, like, you you hear it clanking and ratcheting. It's just... it's It's such bad comedy. I feel like... It's, it should be them surrounded by reporters and fans and people cheering them. And he you you could still end it on that line, but just to have that bad prop comedy of RoboCop ratcheting his own helmet. Ugh. It feels like painful. it's missing a few scenes. It's very abrupt. And we, um, you know, one of the only times the score, I think, calls back to, to some of the music uh, of the original. Unfortunately, we get an arrangement uh, that... Um, a lot of film score fans such as myself absolutely hate in that, you know, it sounds militaristic in RoboCop. And then there's a choir going RoboCop, RoboCop. Oh yeah. That they Robo-Cop. add lyrics. Totally it's, unnecessary lyrics. No. Yeah. Terrible. Absolutely and, awful. And so, and so many like variations on that. They keep, I, uh, yeah. my wife and I sat through the whole credits and like they, like every time we think the chorus is done, you wait a few measures and then RoboCop, it just comes mm. back. RoboCop does not need a choir. That is that is not thematically appropriate. Now, you know, I'm looking through Roger Ebert's review of RoboCop 2 and he really pins it down. The movie's screenplay is a confusion of half-baked and unfinished ideas. It It shows this is not the sequel we deserved after the original um, RoboCop. It's not unwatchable. You can tell there is money behind it. Um, it. It has a few moments here and there, but it's a big... Uh... Yeah, I don't even know if I can recommend this movie. I, I, I'm not going to advise people see this one. Like, even if you have, like, the... If you get the trilogy on sale... Watch RoboCop 2 if you just want to rag on it with a few friends, because I think you could have some fun mystery science theater moments. You know, something something about about this, the, you know the way I wish this movie would end? Since, How? you know, we've established RoboCop, we've established that RoboCop, you know, 2 is a nuke addict and, the, and that the Detroit Police Department's been trying to break up the nuke trade. That's I feel like the way this should have ended is RoboCop should have lured RoboCop 2 to the place where the nuke is made so that oh, fight, yeah, yeah. the collateral damage destroys the nuke facility mm. so that you can't make anymore. But the way he should have defeated RoboCop 2 is by giving him nuke canisters and getting him to OD. That should have been that should have been the appropriate ironic demise. RoboCop 2 should have OD'd on Nuke, and it's just RoboCop slyly putting him in positions where he has easy access to the Nuke canisters. And that would be a good uh, through line of, you know, when they're doing the demo for RoboCop 2, it all falls to shit because they're like, 
there's this nuke, you know, destroy it. He's going to get rid of the drug problem. And instead, he, he kind of goes nuts and goes for it. So, yeah, I mean, that would make a lot of sense. I, I recall renting a RoboCop 2 Nintendo game in which in the, <laughs> it had little to do with the movie, but you had to destroy all the nuke in a level, and there was a meter that you had to fill nuke to to 100%, which meant 100% of the nuke 2 supply in the level was, was gone. And mm. being RoboCop, it controlled, or maybe because it was just a Nintendo game, it controlled really stiffly. <laughs> and um, you would get a lot of pot shots everywhere. Yeah, that, that's one of the the things about like those first generation Nintendo games. It's all at, at least when you were a child, it was difficult to to figure out whether it was difficult to play because it was uh, truly challenging and innovative game design, or if it was difficult to play because it just didn't work. <laughs> right. So I'm going to you know we can't do thumbs up or thumbs down because we don't have the rights for that, but. Is RoboCop 2, is this sequel yes or sequel no? Uh, as much as I hate to say it, I'm going to say I'm gonna say sequel no. I agree. I will say, and this thing I just made up, sequel no. Because it's... Our new segment. It, I don't know. It's not a... I don't know if it's a segment. It's a rating system, I suppose. But yeah, it's... It, it's no... It's not as good as it could have been. And, like, there's six okay plots in here. And they could have picked one of them and focused on it. And made a, a movie that would have, you know, just crossed the crossed the line. But because it's so sloppy and messed up, even though it is directed by Irvin Kirshner, um, RoboCop Two is a um, a disappointing sequel in in the worst way. It's I, I I don't know if I want to call it lazy, but it's bad because it's over ambitious. Yeah, there's there's like there's enough. There, there's maybe a hundred and fifteen percent of a movie here, but it's all different miniature segments of other movies. It's a very Nothing schizophrenic experience. Yeah, yeah. It's a kind of it makes it feel longer than its runtime of one hundred seventeen minutes. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, one one of my notes. It's not until an hour and 16 minutes into the film that we get Kane as RoboCop 2. It takes that long for RoboCop's nemesis to manifest. Wow. Yeah, great point. But it, it's too many uh, too many cooks, right? Spoil the broth. <laughs> so uh, let's move on to pitch a sequel in which we pretend, you know, there is no sequel to the movie we're talking about. In this case, RoboCop 2. And um, discuss what we would have done. Uh I will begin, if you don't mind. Go right ahead. So after RoboCop 2, you know, RoboCop has defeated RoboCop 2, and uh, RoboCop decides he is, um, he wants to take off the Robo mask. He wants to kick back and relax. He He's worn down. His joints are rusted. He wants to go to <laughs> Hawaii. So with, with Ann Miller... It's not Ann Miller, Ann Lewis, Jesus, with Officer Lewis. He goes to Hawaii on uh, for a bit of R&R. And as RoboCop sits, you know, trying to get a suntan, uh, we get a humorous scene of his chin. His chin and lips are perfectly tan, but the rest of his um, facade <laughs> is not tan. So it's like the, the bikini sort of line or the, the thing you get in the 80s movies with the naked girls where the, the breasts would not be. But instead it's with, you know, RoboCop's face. It's sort of a humorous moment. And in Maui, RoboCop finds a uh, there's an insidious cult 
deep in a volcano <laughs> off the coast of Maui in a in a hidden island. And it's from a um from a covert Russian spy agency in the uh, from the nineteen forties that still think World War Two is going on. <laughs> and because of their mind control because of like their their Russian mysticism studies, they have made their own like Russian uh, uh, RoboCops, <laughs> cyberpunk, um, a crazy thing. So RoboCop has to make this kind of uh, fight against a Robo, uh, a Russian RoboCop that's out of place and out of time, while trying to do a, a cover of having R and R in Maui with his his uh, co compatriot Officer Lewis. And it gets um it, it gets a bit silly in in places, and but it it gets you know you have you have action in the volcano in in the the best of the the early James Bond movie traditions with explosions and inventions and all these things, and at the end, RoboCop surrenders his armor, so he's there sort of naked as he takes a naked Anne Lewis in his embrace and say let's see how human I really am as credits roll what, what kind of bed are we going to have sex in Murphy <laughs> <laughs> I've been sitting that's, on that line for quite some time that's, that, that's pretty good yeah and it would be called Robocop Goes Hawaiian <laughs> I was waiting for that to be the title yeah Robocop Goes Goes Hawaiian, and the W would be sort of like an inverted three. A so three on its back. You mentioned RoboCop's going to be naked, but it's established that the meat parts of RoboCop are parts of his head, parts of his torso, and his left arm. What the yep. hell is that scene going to be like? Uh, it's going to be a, a scene with soft, um, a lot of saxophones and soft jazz, soft uh, <laughs> circa mid-90s jazz, as it removes the metal armor chassis. To, to reveal the exposed wires that um that do various things to uh, Officer Lewis in implied fashions. I gotta say, so when when they use all these heavy power tools that take forever to destroy to to tear apart RoboCop in this movie, and yet yeah. he's got places for screws. They could have just unscrewed him and taken him apart. It will be uh, RoboCop's for uh, lusty will power causes like the screws to pop loose <laughs> and have the, the armor kind of clatter to the ground you know instead of like you know the, the people's pants and underpants going to the ground it'd be his his, his armor chassis exposing more more wires including and, and, a uh, including a unit that might surprise some people and of course as they're having sex that tv screen pops out of his arm and says orgasm imminent that's right and it's it says you know like it, it says it's sort of a porno at this point, isn't it? And, and, <laughs> yes, yes, and, yes. and it says like that the fifth directive is love. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's why that that's what we call Robo it. Call it booty Robo cop. booty, yeah. But in this movie, RoboCop Two is obsessed with screens popping out of things. It it was yes. Um, it's my so, least yeah. favorite so, scene, I think, is when the screen comes out of his arm that he can't possibly read that says like system failure. I do like 
in RoboCop 2, the the sort of retro 1950s sci-fi image of Kane's brain and the eyeballs in a jar. That's cute. That's cute. It, it doesn't really work for RoboCop, but it's a fine... If you're going to be... I don't know. Like, it, it seems to work when little else in the film does. Okay, so that's my idiotic pitch for RoboCop 3. Thrasher? So mine's going to be the people versus Alex Murphy. Uh, and so uh, so sh- short version, uh, short version is that while while doing doing a uh, doing his his job, Robocop supposedly shoots an innocent person. And this leads to a lawsuit mm. between uh, the victim's family, uh, the, the the Detroit Police Department and OCP. And, you know, they're all OCP, both, you know, OCP insists, oh, well, he's a police officer, so you have to sue the police department. And the police department's like, no, no, he he's uh, he's corporate property, so you got to sue the corporation. So there's kind of a ah, okay. farce going off there. Right. But the, the short of it is that while this is going on, it even brings up the point, you know, is RoboCop a citizen? Does he have rights? And so a good portion of this movie is RoboCop on the stand in various hearings to try to determine what is RoboCop's legal status. Uh, and his wife huh. shows up again, and this, you know, leads to trying sort of furthering connections with her. Of course. And uh, the, short, the short of it is that th- through, through the course of this, RoboCop unravels unravels this whole conspiracy. Turns out he didn't actually shoot an innocent person. He was set up by OCP, who needed a scandal to bankrupt the uh, the uh, Detroit Police Department. As again, as part of another one of their elaborate schemes to take over Seattle and turn it into Delta City. So RoboCop still has his directives and realizes he can now turn those directives against OCP. So RoboCop leads a a one-man assault on the OCP headquarters to take down all the people at the corporation who are responsible for all the fraud and reckless endangerment and really all the outright crimes the business has been committing. So so this being a RoboCop film, you're saying there'd be no... All the action would be in the courtroom? This is like a, a low-budget drama like oh, a no, for, order first robocop the first half yes the second half would all be the assault on ocp oh there you go yeah that, that's an idea it's it's surprising they haven't done that to its full potential i mean you think that would be the natural end point for the series right he yeah. turns back on those who created him he's his own he's his own man he's in charge of his own destiny yeah, yeah, he he gets proof of what OCP's doing. The right. OCP yeah. wig, big wigs are either dead or arrested by the time they're done. Uh, Robocop recovers his humanity, reconnects with his wife, but they they don't become husband and wife. She goes on to re she goes on to remarry. She gets closer. So does he. He's happy with where she's gone, but like he kind of, you know, he he he's a little bit more human than he used to be in the previous films when it's done. You know, he, he can now take pride and joy in the fact that he's a good cop. He's an organ that knows how to grind. And he can vote again. Because in the, in the end, the court will side mm-hmm. with RoboCop, and he's deemed to be a human being uh, and a citizen of the United States with all the rights and privileges thereof. That vaguely reminds me of one of the dis- many discarded screenplays for Freddy vs. Jason. Really? Uh, involved Jason Voorhees in a court case. <laughs> co-written of all people by ronald d moore who who did a great job as showrunner on the uh the 
newer Battlestar Galactica series. You know, you you and I need to do an episode. We need to do a special episode sometime soon about movies that were never made, so we can share these kinds of stories. Yeah, there's uh, yeah, no lack of those. So okay, that's our pitch. A sequel. Now we're going to move on to what you're watching. Um, we're talking about something that we've watched. It's self-explanatory. Why do I need to explain that? Thrasher, what you're watching? Uh, I well, actually, uh, I finally saw John Wick. Uh, the first or the second? Uh, the first. Although now I really oh, want to see the second. Yes, uh, I have not seen uh, either of the John Wick films, but I've heard pretty good things. Are they more? Are they, is it pretty like straight up action, gunplay, or karate? Or what, uh, what's there, it about? there's there's a mix of gunplay and uh, and martial arts. I guess I guess what I've got to say is it's it's a a balls out action movie where the action is very well motivated. There is a there is a reason for all the violence, and I love that it takes place in this kind of semi-insular world of organized crime that's that they have a lot of fun playing with and exploring yeah i saw a funny meme about john wick where it's like uh john wick's dog gets killed in response john wick murders 73 people so that that's an oversimplification but that is that does track part of the arc of this film and how is keanu reeves performance you know people have criticized him in the past for being wooden he can be sort of inconsistent. Uh, he always he he makes interesting choices. I'll put it that way. Overall, he he's very well cast in this film. I think I I think his acting style, his kind of default acting style, helps because he is playing a character that, for a lot of emotional reasons, is very closed off. Do you think it helps that he has the facial hair? It, the facial hair works, although I hadn't really thought about it as being uh, critical. I see. So, um, it, it makes you want to see the second one, right? Yes. I don't know how, I, I don't expect the second one will be able to top it, but I'm, I'm willing to give it the chance to fail. I like that Lawrence Fishburne is in the second one. Oh, cool. And is it, does it end like on a teaser for a sequel? No, no, it doesn't, which I've got to okay. applaud it for. John, John Wick uh, concludes his business and achieves a certain amount of closure. So, no, it does not end with the sequel set up, and I'm very, very happy about that. Bravo for that. Um, on, uh, on an airplane, I watched a movie from a few years ago starring Scarlett Johansson uh, called Lucy. Oh, is that the, the infamous 10% of your brain movie? It is, and when I saw that, I'm like, where have I seen this concept before? Oh, yeah, it was the movie Limitless. Which also stole it from Flowers for Algernon. Oh, I never thought of Flowers for Algernon, but you're also right. <laughs> but uh, the movie Lucy is directed by Luke Besson, um, who, you know, did Fifth Element. And you you look, he's written and produced a lot of movies, but you look at stuff that he's actually directed, and um, Very okay, this isn't a great example. Well, not just that, but you know, he's he's written and produced a shitload of stuff, and I think he owns like half of France or something. But um, he's the OCP of France. Yeah, but you know, before Lucy, he directed sort of like a mafia comedy with Robert De Niro called The Family. He directed the trilogy. This could be for sequel cast too. Um, Arthur and the Mini Moys, which yes, had three. <laughs> movies of uh, uh i think it's an animated yeah animated french cartoon with scary fairy looking creatures no known in the states as arthur and the invisibles i believe 
yes. And the... Um, He's doing the upcoming Valerian, which I cannot wait for. That looks great. That, you know, uh, uh, part of me looks at the trailer and I see a sci-fi movie with younger people in the lead and I sort of cringe. I think of the Wachowskis movie, um, uh, what the hell it was with Mila Kunis, Jupiter, Jupiter Ascending, which was not so good. But uh, Valerian looks, it looks, it'll be pretty if nothing else. Uh, Dane DeHaan is uh, the main character and he's a, he's a very interesting actor. I've only seen him in the Amazing Spider-Man 2 as Green Goblin. Um but yeah, no, that that could be pretty neat. They're doing a Lucy 2, which I didn't realize. But yeah, but to speak more on point of the movie Lucy, it is pretty much, it, it feels like I was watching a live action anime when I think of like the acting and that it's sort of pure action and, and all that. Um, Scarlett Johansson was was good. I, I normally don't think, it, it almost feels like uh, Luke Besson wanted to cast his ex-wife Mila Jovovich in the lead hmm. because it, it feels like that sort of a role where it's like, the dialogue is really minimal. It's a it's a tough woman beating the shit out of people constantly, and she gets more power as the strip goes on. Um, have you seen this film? N- no, I was I was kind of turned off to the whole idea. As much as it's, I like Luke Besson's yeah. work, I just couldn't get past the the premise and 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 it's one of those movies where the advertising campaign turned me off to it more than it should have. The movie is only ninety minutes long. Like it's a real slick movie. It knows it's stupid and kind of goes with it. And cool. um. Morgan Freeman is hilarious in a supporting role as a professor that gives these speeches that are like intercut with pretentious nature footage trying to explain how the brain works. And eventually his character meets up with Scarlett Johansson's character. But like, I mean, you know what you're going to get, I think. I, I, I like that the movie doesn't try to get serious, doesn't try to get um, profound, doesn't try to get up its own ass with this concept. And... Um, you know, the movie only had a budget of $40 million and made over $450 million worldwide. This is like, hmm. the the concept is as high concept as it gets. It's more of an action movie than Limitless was, which I think was more of a drama. Um, and it's not amazing. It was perfectly fine for an airplane movie. And we might as well, did you um, happen, uh, as of this recording, last night happened to be the Oscars for 2017. Did you have to oh, watch yes. it? No, uh, no, actually, I, I didn't watch it. I, I had a previous engagement. I did watch it, uh, even though, you know, I, I do such a bad job of keeping up with the Oscar-nominated films, especially since they expanded the Best Picture nominees for um, to, like, up to 10 nominees or whatever. But I, uh, as much as we promise not to talk about news on this, I have to, this moment is too weird not to talk about the Best Picture thing that happened. Oh yeah, the the uh, swapped accidentally swapped envelopes. Right. So I've um, <laughs> done a lot of research today and, and watched in slow motion of recorded footage and all that. And what happened is Warren Beatty, and uh, it's not his fault; it's the fault of I think Price Cooper Waterhouse or something, whatever company is in charge of, of doing the uh, the Oscars security for the envelopes and stuff. Yes, it's a company that does that. Um, they gave him the wrong envelope. Before they announced Best Picture, they gave the Oscar to Best Actress, which was to Emma Stone for La La Land. And they gave him an identical envelope for Best Actress. It said Best Actress for best on picture. the outside of the envelope. Yeah, instead of it was supposed to be Best Picture. And there's a about 30 seconds of Warren Beatty. You can tell something is up. He's also um, 
I don't mean to be disrespectful, but he's an older man, you know, so I don't know if he, and he might have, maybe he had a drink or two. It's not for me to say, but he was in a tough position. I'll just put it that way. And he, he kind of struggled. He looks kind of confused. You can tell something is up. Is he trying to do a bit? No, no, this looks a bit too real. This is live television. And then he says, uh, La La Land. And then the whole, you know, posse of La La Land and all, whatever, like half a dozen producers that you know, or get the award, the Oscar for Best Picture, half of them give their speeches. And then you can tell there's a big commotion. Uh, Emma Stone, who is, you know, a, a lead actress in the movie, looks concerned. You could, If you read her lips, you can see she's saying, what? Really? I know. Like, you know, it's something <laughs> is um, afoot in Denmark, as the Shakespeare not saying Hamlet. And... Then, you know, as the last guy's giving his speech, he says, and by the way, yeah, we didn't win it. So, okay. And <laughs> one of the main producers says, you know, this is this is not a, you know, or one of the security guys says, this is not a joke. Moonlight uh, has, has won Best Picture. And uh, it was a, a wonderful, bewildering, fascinating fuck up on live TV. This has never happened in the history of the Oscars, as far as I know. Well, what did you think, Thrasher, when you saw this news? I I was intrigued because I I guess, but between uh, the people who were behind Moonlight and the people who were behind La La Land, I've got nothing but sympathy for both of them because that's got to be a crazy cocktail of emotions to go through in that moment. Uh huh. Because that's for, right. some, for some people, yep. this may very well be the highlight and defining moment of their career. And to be in a position where you win it and then it turns out you didn't win it, or you didn't win it, but then it turns out you did, so much stuff has, it, like, I'm surprised in a lot of ways, I'm surprised that that didn't just immediately end the show. <laughs> But I'm glad I'm glad that everybody was professional and everybody was able to, to forge ahead. On top of this, the show was running late. Well, it's the Oscars. So, you know, That's all it does. It does. But, you know, it. Um, yeah. So you have the feeling, no, it's time to wrap it up, guys. It was like one of the longer. It was almost four hours long one of the longer Oscar telecast. I think Jimmy Kimmel did a great job. And um, on Jimmy Kimmel's late night show, famously, he does a, a bit where he, he gives uh, he makes fun of Matt Damon and they continue that as a thread all through the Oscars, which was um, <laughs> quite funny. Uh, that being said, this is one of the lowest rated Oscars in years as far as TV ratings go. Huh, really? And it, it does go to show. Um, do, do you know the reason why the Oscars uh, up the number of Best Picture nominees from five to, I think it's up to ten. I I have heard multiple conflicting explanations. I'm, I'm afraid I don't know. So, as I understand it, uh, the reason is the Oscar rating is also due with ratings, right? The ratings for the Oscars, the viewership has dropped over the years, and they said, well, if we up the number of Best Picture nominees, then we can have stuff like Batman or whatever to be nominated for Best Picture. Oh, so they can nominate more popular movies that they have no that's intention right. of giving awards to. <laughs> yep. However, that's not what happened. Instead, as uh, fate decreed it to be so, there was... Oh, what am I trying to say here? They just nominated more art pictures, right? Hmm. More um, prestige. Not that there was anything wrong with the kind of movies that get nominated for his best picture, 
But you think of, oh, it's usually uh, historical, stuffy dramas or uh, uh, biopics, movies about the life of someone famous, right? It, it's that sort of uh, World War II drama, right? You know, that sort of thing. And because of that, the movies that are getting nominated for Best Picture that, you know, might attract more of an audience to watch the, the television broadcast of the Oscars are stuff people no one has seen in the first place. Hmm. But the Oscars is not the Golden Globes. It's not, you know, it it's it, it comes off as more hoity-toity and more stiff. So who the hell knows? But the uh, the best picture snafu with the Oscars of 2017 is for the, the history books. And, of course, the other snafu is that now it can be referred to as the Oscar-winning Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah, you know, there was a, a lot of stuff on Twitter where people said, you know, now uh, Suicide Squad has more Oscars than, uh, oh, let's look this up. The Marvel movies? <laughs> yeah, they, oh, right, the whole DC Marvel stuff. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, I gave it, I gave no examples, which I'm terrible at, but yeah. Well, I, I can say this. Uh, I, I love, though, when Moonlight upset La La Land, that Ryan Gosling, who's a star on La La Land, just started cracking up laughing at the absurdity <laughs> of uh, the situation. And think how bad the Moonlight people feel. You win Best Oscar for, or you win Oscar for Best Picture. And you kind of get it as an afterthought. Yeah, although at least at least it was due to human error. It wasn't like any kind of conspiracy that we know of. Uh, right. And like, you know, what if instead of Warren Beatty had said the wonder is says like, oh, I think something's wrong with the envelope. That just you would have know, opened up the floodgates. Is that it, any better? Like, is it better to say the wrong thing or is it better to say, oh, wait a second, or I got to talk to people about this? Well, in all, in all honesty, I think it, it, it probably would have been better if he said, I think we've been given the wrong envelope because apparently the front of the envelope does say the category. It does. So if he had just looked at the other side of the envelope, he would have seen without a doubt, oh, they gave me the wrong one. And then they could have brought it. Then they could have vamped a little bit on stage while they brought the real envelope out and say only on live television, folks, or what have you. But even when he took the card out, it said Emma Stone La La Land. Yes, which which was probably even more confusing. That's right. It's um, I think he handled it about as well could be hoped. It 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 would have been an awkward situation no matter how it would have played out. So you got to wonder though is is next year's Oscars we're I'm, we're going to have to see a lot of uh, think pieces I suppose about what are they going to do to prevent this kind of gaffe this year or next year as the case may be. I yeah, think there's going to be a lot I, of unnecessary hand wringing. I think I think this mistake was a one off. I agree. I do think it was a one off. I you know like one of the better rated Oscars of past years as far as TV ratings go was the one that Seth MacFarlane hosted. Oh, yeah. And and he actually did pretty good. Um, but it, it, it is a sort of a thankless job being an Oscars host. You have to work your ass off. The reviews always slag the host on being bad. Um, do you pick, like, I don't know, PewDiePie to host it? Like, what the hell do you do? I, I don't think younger <laughs> people are going to... The Oscars attracts an older audience. I'm not sure what if there's a good way to fix it. Well, well it, it attracts an older audience, and 
it has the same problems that it had, what, 60 years ago when it first started airing on television? And that it's rich people giving awards to themselves? Well, that that's that that yeah, that is kind of part of it. Although it's within an industry, so that that I can that I can understand. But you know the the overabundance of musical numbers, uh, mm. strange choices for what gets what due to the intricacies of voting, uh, and, and of course you know nope. I I wish I wish people got to say their their speech. I wish I wish speeches had a little bit more time. I would right. rather see I would rather see speeches that could run a minute a minute thirty seconds than have to see three more musical numbers. We could cut two musical numbers out at least. Yeah, and uh, so I mean, one last thing here in the sort of off day talking about the Oscars here, but it's it's big. It's about big news as you get in the movie world. Um, what would you think of the idea of making special what you know making some of the technical oscars like sound editing and stuff being part of the technical oscars that air in a separate night that's not part of the main <sighs> i i don't know i feel all of those things, like even the technical Oscars, those things are so important to the craft of filmmaking and to the experience of watching a film. I would, I would rather cut all the musical numbers from the Oscars and make put the technical awards in the main ceremony. That's I have a, a tremendous point. amount of respect for that. In fact, one of the the things that won a technical Oscar this year was for achievement in animatronic horse. Really? Technology. Yeah, like they get that, they got that specific sort of doing their clip show part of it. And Jackie Chan won a technical Oscar this year. Or was, won, was won a special was Oscar. It, was it honorary? It, it, it was honorary, but it was something on that same night as the technical Oscars. And that Jackie Chan, I mean, he was there and they and, in the audience and they showed him as some of the people in the audience that won the honorary Oscars. But um, I, I know it counts as an Oscar, but at the same time, all of the dozens of films Jackie Chan has done over the years, he deserved a career montage, at least at the main show. Oh, yeah. With his extensive history uh, in, in the world of motion picture entertainment, uh, absolutely. And and if only to remind people that he is multi-talented, he's not just a guy who does his own stunts and does impressive fight scenes. He can sing, he can dance, he can tell a joke. He's a director, he's a producer, yes. He's um, the, the small clip. I, I need to search out the whole clip, but um, the, the the clip you did say that they showed is he said, making my movies, I broke almost every bone in my body. Thank you. I've waited my whole life for this. It was it, it was a nice little I, I need to look up the whole speech because uh, we, you know, back on the original sequel cast show, uh, we covered the um, police Super story Cop. movies. The yeah, the first four police story movies, including Super Cop, First Strike, Police Story One and Two, and uh, we'll, we'll be talking about Rush Hour. You know, here and and sometime later this year on Sequel Cast Two. And Jackie Chan, I have a lot of respect for. Are his movies all classics? No, but what is? But I mean, he he's worked worked hard for his career. Damn it! In that he's done combined action movies with comedies uh for this lawn um and he's done some dramatic stuff too is quite um unusual and he and his niece jade defeated the shadow clan and i got to see him in a movie called the protector 
which is buddy cop movie with him and Danny Aiello. Oh, yeah. In which at one point Jackie Chan yells, drop the fucking keys, which <laughs> you'll never <laughs> see in a movie before or since. All yeah, right, on that really note. Swear. Doesn't no, and he he's only played the bad guy I think once in his career in a movie called the, it's something like the Meteor, uh, something along those lines. Um, so uh, on that note, let's uh, let's pimp our stuff and get out of here on this uh, overstuffed baked potato of a RoboCop two episode, which has been a lot of fun for me. I don't know about you, dear listeners. I've enjoyed it. Me too. Um, so I will say uh recently uh, i do some writing for uh, games radar and i did a, a piece for them about real-time strategy games on uh, consoles it's called six great rts games on consoles hmm. and talk about stuff reaching as far back as dune battle of arrakis for the genesis oh that all the way up classic. to all the way up to more recent stuff like halo wars and i talk about how the genre how how they it works better on consoles as the uh, controllers got more complicated. Sort of a, a think piece. I also uh, do a, a column called Sequel Surprises for Talk Film Society. I did one on Jurassic Park 3 that got featured on the front page of Reddit. And I read all 100-plus oh. comments, and only three of those had to do on my article, all of which were people that didn't like it. But still... The, the rest were I, anti-Semitic rants, I guess? Uh... All about, you know, people fighting like, man, Lost World is really good. Jurassic Park 3 sucks. No, it's not. It's actually good. <laughs> but, I mean, that I, I wrote something that through fate or whatever got on the front page of Reddit. Uh, that's very special to me, and that's uh, I think I enjoy that. So, uh, Thrasher, what's uh, what's the latest you've been working on? Where can people find some of your stuff? You got you got uh, a new book uh, coming out? Uh, not not in the near enough future that I should probably mention it here. However, if you do like the sound of my voice, and I know I do, uh, this is not the only thing that I do online. I am also a co-host and producer of uh, D-Infinity Live, which is a tabletop gaming webcast. It broadcasts live uh, every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, you can find it on d-infinity.net. There's also, uh, you can also see it on YouTube. Uh, we are branching out on that show. Uh, we actually have one of our, our uh, new live, live play episodes uh, coming up. Well, I guess it does... I, I say coming up, but... Uh, I just I just realized how absurd this is because I don't exactly know when this episode's going to drop. But let me let me just put it this way: the first Thursday of every month, we play a tabletop game live for the amusement of the uh, of the viewer. So that's good, regardless of when or where you're listening to this episode. Uh, we also have our special challenge episodes where our hosts are given a special challenge to create game content made to order. We recently did uh, our uh, fixer upper challenge where we had to take the games that we thought were the worst and find a way to improve them and then uh, vote for best improved that was pretty fun so yeah if you want to if you want to see me uh, Clint Staples Michael Varhola Brandon Cass and Amanda Call talk about tabletop gaming check out D Infinity Live you can find that on d-infinity.net uh, and also speaking of you know uh, card games I'd like to recommend something I played recently while I was on vacation oh yes it is called Lost in Royla. I'm mispronouncing that. It's a Lovecraftian themed uh, card game. 
and you're trying to escape the island of Ridley. Ugh, I, I said to spell that as R apostrophe L Y E H. I always pronounced it uh, Relia. Relia, sir. I think that's probably more right than I. And it's a a, a pretty uh, inexpensive card game that comes in a nice tin with uh, the the Lovecraftian artwork is is just okay, but the the game mechanics are really solid. Cool. It's um you know you're trying to get rid of you're trying the person that discards all their escape cards wins. And so it's a lot of dicking over the other player, but it it works even as a two player <laughs> game, which is not always the case with the with a lot of these games. It's up for two to six players. I I recommend it lost in however you pronounce it. Oh, Relier. Relier. Uh, Lost in R apostrophe L Y E H. I'll recommend that one. Uh, and then really quick, is there like a, a fun sort of card game or board game you'd recommend for your listeners? Oh, well, actually, uh, I I give my uh, hearty endorsement to Cosmic Encounter. Uh, and that's that's been on my mind because my wife was good enough to to get me one of the expansions uh, as a uh, birthday present. But it's it's a it is a delightfully fun uh, outer space game. Uh, everybody starts the game with five planets and uh, you, you are, you have control an alien species and you've got these little UFOs and short version is you're trying to land your UFOs on other people's planets. And the first person who can get a number of UFOs in a number of other systems is the winner. And there's a tremendous number of variations. There's bargaining, there's warfare. Every alien has a special ability that tweaks the rules and sometimes introduces alternate victory conditions. And the art's great, and it has a nice sense of humor. Nice, yeah, I'm looking at the the, uh, the art uh, right here. It's reminding me a little bit of the computer game Star Control 2. It does have a lot of that spirit. Uh, a lot of the aliens, all the aliens... They're Masters of Orion, game. yeah. Uh, pretty cool. All right, I'll have to check that one out. And uh, on that note, uh, thanks uh, again, listeners, for listening to SequelCast 2. Check us out on Twitter, at SequelCast 2. Look up SequelCast 2 on um, iTunes, and look up SequelCast 2 on Facebook for our latest stuff. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about RoboCop 3, and then after that, the week after, we'll be talking about RoboCop, the uh, sort of you know remake, reboot thing that came out a few years ago. So for sequel cast two, this is Matt. Oh, follow and me on Twitter is... at follow me on Twitter at M A T W B T. Yes. And you can follow me on Twitter at internet mayor. And please do for the sequel cast two. This is Matt. And this is Thrasher saying can't shoot a kid. Can you? No, but I can shoot your penis. Da 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 da. Robocop. 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 Alex Murphy. I wonder, has there been a stage production of Robocop? I bet you there <laughs> I has. I don't know, but it, it kind of would make a good opera. There, uh, G4 did a, a, a suite of, or. The players of the old Murder House Theater in Austin, Texas, did a stage production of RoboCop in really? 2011. Groo. And I I do remember around the time of the release of the uh, the remake of RoboCop, um, some I 
some wacky website did a re basically had fans sign up to do different like 30 second segments of the film and then cut it all together kind of like they've done with the star wars movies and all that sort of it's called sweeted um based on that movie uh you know be kind please rewind i think is what that one was called but uh the robocop one uh the remake has a hilarious scene where um the 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 rapist tries to get the girl and robocop shoots him in the dick and the the fan version of that scene is like the guy has 12 dicks and they all get shot off it's um (laughs) it's it's pretty good oh man and on that note speaking of being shot off um we're we're cutting it loose for this episode (laughs) and yes see you next time for robocop 3 any which way but loose da 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 <laughs>